So in our digital age, we increasingly communicate with emojis. Uh, it's an emerging form of language that is used in lots of ways. No words express more than we can write down in a short amount of time. So with a flick of a thumb, emojis can express that we're happy or we're sad or we're laughing or we're crazy or we're sick or a lot of things. There are emotional states expressed here, but maybe most of all, the most basic of all was, was the approval, disapproval, the old thumbs up and thumbs down. We become kind of snapshot what we think is good, what we think is not so, not so hot. Now, I, that's a pretty quick reaction kind of a snap judgment. But when we do that, there's a grid of measurements that are making us do that. Values and things we like, things we don't like, experiences that shape whatever your thumbs up or thumbs down might happen to be. So there's something behind that. So we could just as easily say, out of the abundance of the heart, the thumb rates, <laughs> right? Up or down, whatever we think is there. Now, you and I know that our responses to most issues are far more complex than what our, our thumbs can tell. Like, like when a friend shares on social media that they, uh, they have a cancer diagnosis. Or maybe you get in a discussion with some people about some issues of our day, like, say, racism. It just doesn't work to respond in emoji. Does it work to respond with thumbs up or thumbs down or a sad face emoji? Because behind that, there are all these layers. There's layers of grief and layers of anger or fear or compassion or faith or support or love are all there. So we're always going to struggle if we try to reduce life to a simple binary equation, thumbs up, thumbs down. Why? We're limited in knowledge. We're limited in perspective. We're limited in our emotional bandwidth to be able to understand all those things. But you don't read the Bible very long to see that God is not hesitant to describe people, souls, faith, eternal destinies, all kinds of ways in stark binary descriptions. So you got life and death, you got light and dark, you got slavery and freedom, you got truth and lies, you got the narrow way and the broad path, you got heaven and hell. Now, why can God so easily move into that kind of description? Well, He has perfect 360 view of all of life on earth. He knows our past, our present, our future. He knows all of our souls, what's individually true about them. He knows the stories that have led us into the moment where we are and what's coming next in our stories. He knows it all. So what He describes is something that we need to take seriously as a reality that we then just have to, have to deal with. So it's really no surprise, as we've been looking through Psalm 1, that God, again, talks about these two ways of life on earth. Now, if you have your copy of the Bible, would you go ahead and turn to Psalm 1? We're going to continue our journey through that today. And what he describes here is the way of life on earth that he blesses and a way that he opposes or that is, that is unblessed. The clear comparison and contrast. So what do we mean we're talking about about being blessed. Let's define this. A blessing is this. Blessing is God's intentional, active application of His good to the lives of people and their joy in experiencing it. So we say, God, you're so good. Yes. The blessing is the active application of that good to our lives and our response to it. Now, we've not been trying to number all the ways that God can bless us. We'd run out of time 
be able to do that. What we've been looking at are the sources or the roots of a life that God blesses. So I want you to hear those again this morning. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? Kai is going to come and read Psalm 1 for us, and we're going to hear it all the way through. And listen again for that comparison and contrast. Psalm 1. Kai is already Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kyle. You may be seated. So we've talked about what the life look like that experiences God put God's blessing. Verse 1 tells us the life that's in a personal relationship with God. We still look at verse 2 and said it's a life that is ordered by God's word, that is obeying God's word. And last week we look at verse 3 is a life that is centered on and sustained by God in Christ. Pretty dramatic shift when we come to verse 4. It says, The wicked are not so, but like chaff that the wind drives away. So, what is God doing is giving us more insight into His grid for blessing or non blessing. Now, it's interesting to note. The categories used are not blessed and not blessed, blessed and unblessed. That, that can leave us a little emotionally cold. No, God's categories are blessed and wicked. Now, now, in our day, nobody uses words like wicked very much, and it sounds like all the things people accuse Christians of being. Old-fashioned, uh, intolerant, judgmental, finger-shaking, a little angry, Nobody wants to be classified as wicked. Nobody wants to be told they're wicked. Wicked, that's for Hitler. That's for people who abuse their wives. That's for child molesters. That's for terrorists. That's what wicked is. Let's understand, this is God's category. It's not our, ours to change it by our socially, more socially acceptable terms. Wicked used five times here in Psalm 1. Now, what's it mean? Wicked means someone who is faithless. who does not have a dominant relationship marked by, by trusting and confidence in God. It means hostile to God and His purposes, guilty of offending His character, breaking His standards and His ways. But He doesn't use the word wicked. He gives us images. He gives us these metaphors. So you get to verse 4 and He says, not so. He's pointing us back to verse 3, which we looked at last week, where we said that the blessed are like a tree planted by streams of water that are fed and sustained and strong, and no matter what season comes, it's still going to grow, it's going to bear fruit, and it's a beautiful thing to see. Then verse 4, he says, well, that's like, that's different. He shifts the metaphor altogether. That's like chaff. Now, chaff is a byproduct of harvesting wheat. Now, in our day, the wheat harvest is most often accomplished by a combine. It's the way we see it. Big combine goes through the wheat fields, and it, it chops up the, the wheat and separates it out and then tosses it back into the container that is there. But in the ancient Mideast and pre-industrial times there and, and across the world even today, they would cut the, the wheat in a field with a scythe, gather the wheat stalks onto a threshing floor like a rock, flat rock. They would beat the, 
weed pods with a stone or with a special rake, and then they would toss it in the air, you see here. And the weed kernels would fall back to the threshing floor, and the husks that had surrounded the weed kernels, that's the chaff, would be blown away in the breeze. He says, that's the wicked. Now, we're going to explore that more fully in a minute, but, but you see the contrast, right? The wicked, the faithless, are not blessed, but the bottom line is the faithful are blessed. The faithful are the ones who are blessed. Now, we know that faith, we're not talking about good people. People are dependable, consistent involvement with the church, dependable in their responsibilities. We're talking about faithful. Here's what we're talking about. A person whose life trajectory is, is marked by trust and confidence in God. Whose life is being ordered uh, around his purposes and reflects his character. That's the kind of life God can bless. Now, if what's at stake here in defining these categories is our experience of God's blessing or God's opposition for now and into eternity, it's really crucial for each of us to know which we are. Am I tree or chaff? Am I faithful or wicked? So I want to consider that this morning, kind of a diagnosis in three pairs of these contrasting spiritual qualities. And I encourage you to get your, your worship books and jot these down. I want you to be able to see them all at one time as they, as they come. The first pair we're going to look at deals with kind of the core reality of the difference between the two. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. The wicked are dead. Spiritually dead. And a chaff has nothing alive in it. There's no sap, there's no bud, there's no blossom. We could put some kind of instrument on them, they would be flatlined, right? They'd be flatlined, right? There'd be nothing there. There's no life that shows up there at all. And for each one of us in our natural state, apart from anything else, this is a description and a picture of our spiritual life before God. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You are dead in trespasses and sins. Now, now, what's that mean? What's it mean to be spiritually dead, to be soul dead? It's tough for us not to get a hold of because we think so often in physical categories we can see and touch and measure and, and look at and see those kind of things. But here's the thing. It's not about religious involvement. It's not really even about where you succeed or fail in terms of morality. Those are symptoms. To be spiritually dead is to be cut off from the source of spiritual life. To be spiritually dead is to be cut off from the source of spiritual life. Now, we understand that physically, don't we? Because the atmosphere of our planet is perfectly designed to sustain human life. So this perfect mixture between oxygen and carbon dioxide that enables our lungs to breathe in and out and for us to sustain our life. But you get us outside of our atmosphere, into deep space, and apart from some kind of very specialized equipment, we would suffocate within seconds. Because our physical bodies are not designed for life in that atmosphere. God designed the human soul, your soul, my soul, the core of you, to live in vital connection with Him. So back at the very beginning, He said this in Genesis, He said, The Lord God formed the man out of the dust on the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. You know, King James is a living soul. Became a living soul. Came alive. 
And so there was this sense of God creating new life in us. He, he breathes life into us. Now, this is not CPR. It's not a, this, is, this is initiating life. There's intimacy and intentional dependence built into it that our souls for our existence are designed to live in the atmosphere of God. But from the first time when the first human beings, Adam and Eve, chose to reject God's love and, and rebel against His ways, it's been in the human DNA to say, oh no, I'll do life on my own. I'll do life in the atmosphere of me. It's our nature, it's in our choices, and it's as deadly to our souls as stepping into deep space without equipment would be for our physical body. And the result is a soul that is as lifeless as chaff, floating on the breeze, settling, settling, setting on the ground, in the ground, and then rotting away into nothing. That's the picture. Wicked soul is spiritually dead. But the faithful soul is spiritually alive. Because grains of wheat, there's evidence of life. They grow, they, they bud, they blossom. There's a head of wheat that, that shows up. There's a head of wheat that is, that is there. Now, now how, does, how does that happen? There's evidence of that. How does life come to a dead soul? There's nothing short of a miracle. It's not produced by effort. It's not purchased at the soul store. Uh, by, by good neighborliness, non-murdering, paying your bills and taxes on time, being a good American. Remember, dead things are incapable of movement. They're incapable of action or response. In order to take something that's dead and make it alive, something's going to have to act from outside that which is dead, which has a life that is stronger than the death that is inside what is dead. Let me say that again. <laughs> so the outside is going to have to act on us to bring life that is there. And that something is a someone. We've been thinking about him all morning, reminding ourselves, look what it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He brought life to us. He breathed new life into us again. So Ezekiel says this, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone, which is dead, and give you a heart of flesh. I'll place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. I'm going to change you from the inside out. Now, this is a deep, hidden mystery. But understand this, like when the head of wheat shows there's life in the stalk that is there, there is outward evidence when spiritual life takes place. There's evidence. There's a, there's a desire for God. There's a love for God. There's a sorrow for sin. There's repentance and brokenheartedness over sin. There's the expression of trust in Christ's cross and what He did there to take away my sin and His resurrection to give me life. There's love for His Word. There's love for His ways. There's love for His people. It changes and transforms us from the inside out when spiritual life is in place. Now, this happens to people that are far from God. And we hear these stories from all across the globe when our missionaries are at work. We hear the stories of people coming to faith in Christ out of, out of backgrounds that have nothing to do with, with Christ at all. And that's fabulous. But I want you to understand, this kind of miracle also happens to people 
sitting in a church sanctuary on a Sunday morning in Bowling Green, Kentucky, who think they're okay with God. It can happen right here, right now. So I can happen to John Wesley. John Wesley was an Anglican priest. He's a member of a holy club. We met at 4 o'clock every morning with a group of brothers to ask one other questions to hold each other accountable for how seriously they were pursuing God and everything they were. He was the missionary of this strange new world in a place called Georgia. And he went back to Britain. And one night he said, I didn't really want to go to this Bible study. But look what he said. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and the truth was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Can I ask you, have you had that kind of experience with the life of God in your soul? Have you sensed your heart to be strangely warmed and assured that you have faith in Christ, in Christ alone, and that you're rescued from sin and death? That's what life is. So it needs to be spiritually alive where it starts. Is it true of you? Is that your story? Because here's what you've got to know. God can only bless life. He cannot bless non-life. He blessed what's alive. You see, the wicked are spiritually dead, the faithful spiritually alive. That's where God's blessing comes. Second piece of our diagnosis, look at the substance of things. What's kind of in there? So the wicked, the wicked are hollow. Hollow. There's nothing to the chat. When you watch the threshing combines, there are things, there's a cloud of dust and particles that are there. It's blown and tossed about by a slight breeze because there's no weight there at all. Lives built on anything other than God through Christ are like that. They have, they have no weight. It's whatever is coming along is where it is. So some people try to build their life on their looks. And so I want to look a certain way. I want to have a certain kind of physique. I want to wear a certain style of clothes. I want to do that. Because i got to tell you, if you live long enough, here's what you're going to find. Stuff that's tight loosens and stuff that stands begins to sag. <laughs> Well, it looks like ain't going to last. I'm just telling you. You build a life on that, it's going to move away. Without money, I'll get some more money. I'll have a certain lifestyle. I'll have influence when I have money. Look, Solomon was a rich man. Who ever heard what he said? He said, look, riches don't last forever. Does a crown endure for all generations? No, it doesn't. Okay, I'll just do what makes me happy in the Lord. I'll work hard. I'll build something. I'll build a business. I'll build something with my life. I'll build something. I'll have a contribution to the society around me. I'm going to give what makes me happy and what delights me. I'll do that. Look what he says in Ecclesiastes. I make great works. I build houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all sorts of fruit trees. I made myself pools in which to water the forest of growing trees. It's all beautiful. I had great possessions of herds and flocks. I gathered myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces, lots in his bank account. I got singers, both men and women. I like entertainment and many concubines, another kind of entertainment. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from pleasure, from my heart, from no pleasure, from my heart found pleasure in my toil. He's a workaholic. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity 
and it's striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I went after everything I thought would make me happy, and nothing worked. It was all empty, and it didn't last at all. Listen, this is the language of addiction, isn't it? I'm going to get more and more. I get kind of a rush at first, but the more and more I do it, I have to do more and more to get the same kind of feedback, and it's a nothing. Let me get out of other categories, but you get the idea. It's possible to be busy and about stuff and doing things and all those kind of things, all the while giving yourself your time, your energy, your one and only life to things that simply do not matter. That don't matter at all. So you get to where your life, your life is blown around by whatever comes along, whatever breeze promises to make you happy next. There's no roots there. Because that's not it. But the faithful. Faithful are solid, he says. They're solid. The reason the weight, the wheat falls back down is it has substance. It's weighty. It's heavier than the atmosphere. It's stronger. So what is it that makes a soul weighty? What is it that gives substance to our living? So when the winds of a broken world and a culture that opposes us blow, it stays put where it is. I like this. The Spirit of God takes up residence in the believer. The King of glory takes up residence when we trust Christ in you. The very word glory means that which is weighty, that which is heavy, that which matters. Look what happens as we grow more and more like Him. It says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the more you pursue life as a growing, maturing disciple of Jesus, the more you're like Him, the more glory takes hold in your soul and the more substance there is to your life. You live by the Word of God, right? The do the Word of God. It says in Isaiah, it says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. So every decision you make by the Word of God, every, every direction you take by the Word of God, everything you say no to by the Word of God, every emotion you check by the Word of God, every position you take by the Word of God adds more and more weight and substance because there's a truth of God to your soul. We have a call from God. He said we're going to be disciple-making disciples. We're, we're, going to, we're going to lead people to Jesus. We're going to lead more people to anger their life and hope in Jesus. We want to, folks to know Him and live that out. So Paul describes this way. He said, God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, putting broken things back together. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, church, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. So here's the thing. We're living our lives. And we're talking about where you live, work, learn, play. Go be a part of this making disciples. And when you do that, you're dealing with the eternal souls of men and women and boys and girls. And I dare you to find anything else on earth worth giving yourself that means more than the eternal destiny of another human being. Nothing means more than that. What's something that matters has some weight to it? Deal with matters of eternity. There's the people of God. We're bound together in Jesus' family. Our souls are in our lives. So Ephesians 4 says this. It says we're one body, one spirit. This is what we're called to one hope, what you're calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
One God and Father of all who's above all and through all and else. So we're one. We're linked together. We're bound. So you're bound to me and I'm bound to you. We're bound to each other as a family. Now look what happens next. Grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We have something to give each other. And God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, equipping the saints, that's all of us, for the work of ministry, that's the reconciling thing we were talking about a minute ago, to build up the body of Christ, make us stronger, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then it says, as we move on with that, next, next slide, look at that next one. They will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown about by every wind of teaching, by human cutting with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Now, catch this. We're bound together as one. We're linked together. And so as I'm linked to you and you're linked to me, when the winds blow and we're maturing in Christ, we're holding each other accountable in Christ, what happens is there's a weightiness to being a part of the community of faith. The solitary disciple is a sucker for the enemy's the enemy's thing that he's going to pull against us. The solitary disciple is out there on his own to be blown away. But when we're linked together, there's a weightiness to our lives. And also, would you look at this? Suffering, we hope in our hope in God. The world's broken, it's hard, and pain comes, and we don't whine about it. We run to Jesus and say this, look, we don't lose heart. We don't do that. So our outer life is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but things that are unseen. Things that are seen are transient. Things that are unseen are eternal. So when the pain comes, we lack our hope not to this world, but to the truths and the promises of God in heaven. And it's a steady holding thing, and there's weightiness to it. It's never going to give way, and it gives way to our souls. So we live our lives faithfully. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, the call of God, the people of God, suffering with the hope of God, and God blesses those that add that kind of weight to their souls. So look at the core of who we are. substance that is there, this third pair, has to do with impact. With impact. Here, the wicked are barren. Chaff is nothing. It's really nothing. And synonyms for it are, are trash and, and debris. You throw it away because it holds no value for anything. Can't use it for livestock feed. They can't burn it for fuel like some grasses. They can't bundle it to barter for something else. Even in the world today, subsistence farmers, we use every part of everything, have no use for the chaff. That's the way wicked lives are. They are self-consumed, self-defined, self-driven, self-pleasing. Others are engaged and only matters what to help me accomplish my goals. So there's no real love. It's just a transaction to get service to what I want. There's no real legacy because I'm not investing in somebody to see what might come later. It's all about just me, just right now. But the faithful are life-giving. These wheat kernels are harvested, have at least two possibilities for others. As bread, they can be crushed, added with yeast to make flour and bake loaves to feed a family or a community. Or you can save the seeds for the next harvest. Ensure the security, the income, the sustenance of an entire area. Jesus' faithful people are always looking for ways to give themselves away to others. That's in line with how Jesus described our whole life, what it was to be, boiled down to one word, pretty easy. 
He said, we're dealing with everybody you're around you. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And you're dealing with the family of faith over in John. He said, as new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. This is how people will know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. He says, love is the thing. Love is giving yourself away to serve anybody in need in this broken mess of the world. That's what we mean when we say every week, be helpful. Take your gifts, your abilities, your, your talents, your experiences, your story, your resources, and give it away to serve and love and help others. We don't stop there. We love is giving away Jesus to those who need Him more than they know. This is the gospel. So we just come here and celebrate and delight in His forgiveness. We give it away. We give His hope away. We give His love away. We give His healing away. So they know this Jesus. Jesus told a parable about this. He said it's like a, like a farmer planting seed. He said, just spread it. He said, so you spread it everywhere. Wherever we go, we take the love of God in Christ and we remind ourselves every Lord's Day morning and we just spread it wherever we go because you never know where it's going to take root. You never know where there's going to be a harvest in one life, one family, one marriage, one parent and their child, one child and their parent. You never know what's going to happen in one community or one office. What's going to happen there? Can you imagine how different the world would be if there are a bunch of people running around Bowling Green, just this many, just crazy enough to believe that the love of God through Christ by the power of the Spirit might actually change the world? What would happen? I think God brings His blessing to bear from people who live like that. So you see the diagnosis. We have these two ways God may respond. There's the way of the blessing, the way of the faithful, and the way of the, the wicked. And you see what I mean when I say the emoji is just not enough. Would you look at the list? Look at the list that is there. Can I ask you, as we've talked about this for a few moments, which describes you? Maybe you look at that faithful side and you say, I think it's pretty much, pretty much me. The moments we worship, maybe you want to come and kneel here and just thank your Lord and Savior that that describes you because you know that's all the mercy. It's all His mercy. So we're grateful for what He's done in us and through us to enable us to live a life like that. Or maybe you're here right now and your heart is thumping so hard and your head is spinning and you could not take that pin and circle that side to save your life because you're terrified that that may be true of you, that you're lifeless spiritually, that you're meaningless ultimately, and there's nothing in your life before God to put you there. And you know that's true because you've never crossed the line of faith and taken trust out of you and put it into Christ. Can I tell you, it's never too late to change the trajectory of your soul. So in a moment as we begin to sing, then you want to come here and kneel and just run to Jesus for all your worth and repent of sin and tell Him, I trust you. I need you to forgive me. I need you to take away my sin and forgive me. You know what you'll find? He'll open His arms and welcome because He said, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. I'll rescue you. I'll rescue you. I'll welcome you. But He won't leave you that way. 
He'll take His life and put it inside you. And you'll move from death to life. You'll move from chaff to be the tree. Planted by streams of water with fruit and joy and sustenance for now and forever. Because that's what your Creator's plan is for you. Would you stand together and bow your heads as we come to the Lord this morning? Lord, we come now and we want to be as honest as we can be before you about where we stand with you. So Lord, would you help us in these moments to recognize that? And to not shy away from what you're prompting to our souls. Some of us need just to tell you again how grateful we are that you've saved us and are making us something that we never dreamed we could be. Some others of us, today's the day. The step from death to life. Would you help us to repent and trust Christ? Or maybe there's some of us who do know you. But there's some aspect of our life that's begun to look awfully faithless. Maybe we want to come and kneel and bring that particular piece of our life to you. Lord, help us come to you this day with all that we are. Because we can trust you for what you will do with our souls. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as we worship and sing together. Thank you.